So uh, my, my wife is awesome, and she wanted to go see Godzilla. So we went to see Godzilla. She thoroughly liked it. I thought the plot was lacking. Anybody ever watch the old Godzillas? Black and whites? Okay, so like 10 of you will understand this. I don't know what the rest of you grew up watching. But, but there used to be this guy in, a, in the Godzilla suit. Okay? And, I, and this is why I was thoroughly depressed with the movie. Because I swear, in the old movies, I was just waiting for Godzilla to go like this. Right? Hey, anybody seen the new one, the movie? The Godzilla movie? Didn't do that at all, did he? Thoroughly disappointed. What is up with that? So anyway, um, I totally forgot we even had a softball team playing. And apparently, we, they won their division. I know, it's amazing. You should go watch their games. How dare you forget about them? If you, if you want to play softball with us, you can still sign up in the back. Uh, Jerry will get a hold of you. But sweet, even comes in the form of a base. You can be like... I'm not wearing shoes, okay? Well, it's beautiful, right? I got this morning. I had no idea. I'm like, ah, what I want to wear? I don't know. So I just didn't wear shoes. There you go. Uh, tonight at 5.30, we have our Connect Party. If you are new or newer to Element and you want to connect and get to know some other people, or if you've been around for a while and want to connect more to some other people, tonight at 5.30 at the Pettit's house, we are doing the Connect Party. If you don't know where that is, we can get you directions in the back. Uh, but this is more than just a straight dessert party. This time we're doing like appetizers. Someone's making kebabs. <gasps> Sweet. I know. You know... I, People sometimes make kebabs and they stick them on the pieces of wood and the wood burns and the meat is just like raw. That is not going to happen today because Jesus is going to be part of it and he will. It's going to be amazing. I hear Charlotte's going to make some, some uh, lime cilantro rice, which sounds amazing. I'm allergic to citrus, so I can't eat it, but it sounds amazing. And so it's going to be a great time. So come, 530, be great. Uh, I'll be there. Or not, whichever one makes you want to go better. <laughs> Apparently, that's not a big selling point. <laughs> so whatever. Uh, so a uh, couple things. Um, number one, if you happen to borrow our iPad, or really, that's a deep breath. Did you take it? <laughs> or Elements Cordless Drill, either one. I don't know if you had a project and Jesus said, oh, borrow that one. But if you're done with it, and Jesus is done with it, bring it back, because we could use it. Thank you very much. All right. Got to be careful. Uh, I don't know why, but I am just saying a lot of stuff today that's totally inappropriate and I shouldn't say. And so half the time, that I, I, I gave the band permission to look at me and go, shut up now. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and be good better than I have it. So uh, if you uh, like to be involved in a little service project, there's a lady in town who needs some help putting together a shed. We have some guys already on the project, but we need about two more. And so on Memorial Day, the Monday, if you if you have it off, uh, they're going to show up at her house and put together this shed for her. Uh, it's, it's made out of sheet metal and stuff. It's pre-cut. But if you have like leather gloves, you can bring those. And if you would like to help with that project, talk to Michael right there. He's gonna, there you go. Right there in the back of the hallway. There you go. Talk to him. And uh, he'll get you in touch with uh, Rob, and you guys can go and do that. It'll be amazing. And just one little last thing. We actually, last week, met with an architect 
uh, about, you know, the property and things that are going on. We have a couple other meetings to see who we're going to choose. I really like this guy we met with last week. But so we're progressing forward and it's moving on. So things are kind of cool when they're happening. Uh, just to let you know because there will be a giving campaign coming. He's like, boo. Okay. But, hey, it's coming. It'll be great. I, my, my heart's kind of excited about uh, these things and because we really need a permanent home. It would be great to be able to have a place with air conditioning. Yeah. Huh? You're like, done. Let's start the campaign now. <laughs> We're ready to go. Ready to go. Uh, welcome to Element. If you are new, uh, my name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. Uh, in these sermon notes, you have certain things I don't talk about during the message. And on the back, there are questions. And if you have a smartphone, you can also download an app. It is called Uversion. You can click on Live and Uversion. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes and verses and all that goes along with it. Just don't be like the guy in first service today who was playing video games while I was praying. My goodness, you are like a <gasps> kind of crowd. I didn't hear it. I was up here. Someone sitting next to him. So I wouldn't talk to him. I said, stop playing video games when I'm praying. He's like, this is all on the video. because This is the only service I actually introduced myself. Sorry, people watching the video. Why don't you guys stand there reading the God's word? This is Psalm 66, verse 5. And I'm going to be more focused, I promise. Uh, says, yeah. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. Uh, let's pray. Father, we ask that you, as our great God, would help, and help us to understand your great deeds that you have done towards us. And that we would live lives that honor and glorify you in all things. That, that as we live out as your children, we would understand the blessing that we are called to be, the salt and light that we are called to be in the world. And it's not just in a room like this. It is in, out into every person we come into contact with, our families and our homes first and our neighborhoods and our uh, and our job places and everything will teach us to be salt and light. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are in the Sermon on the Mount. This is week 15. Uh, we are talking about salt and light, and you might think, that's like deja vu. We talked about salt and light the week before Mother's Day. This is salt and light part two. I told you then it was coming. Uh, in part one, I talked about things, I think, more from like a heady sense. Uh, today is going to be a theological, but also, I think, a little bit practical. It, this all depends on what I'm reading at the time when I'm writing messages. I can really tell I was reading a lot of Tim Keller when I was writing these messages. Uh, and I was trying to get you guys away from looking at the world either optimistically or pessimistically, but looking at it biblically. And this is what I said. I said, biblical Christianity is not shallow optimism nor dark pessimism. It doesn't look at the ideal the way optimists do. It doesn't look at the real the way pessimists do. It looks at Jesus. Now, that sounds a lot like Tim Keller to me. So it sounds a lot like a quote, but I don't know. But this is how we become salt and light in the world. We focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Because we are a people whose spiritual formation is governed by thoughts that take God's work through his church seriously in the world around us. Uh, Don Davis is this great African-American preacher, uh, uh, reaches into inner cities, has a great heart for that. And this is what he says. He says, we see that God Almighty from eternity past determined that he would gather out of the earth a people who would belong to him. He would establish a new reign in the earth. And in drawing out these people from every tribe and nation, would put his son as the epicenter of it all. And that's so true because that's Jesus who is our Lord and Savior. And he is establishing his kingdom today that will go on throughout eternity. And the scriptures call the fruition of this the new heavens and the new earth. And I don't know if you understand this, but we, as in the we, 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 see, things just come out wrong. We, we, 
Mike says I should say it like I'm French. We, we, okay? The we, we in this, who sometimes we seem so unlikely, yet we are the ones who get to show God's glory right now by being salt and light in the world. It is not even a choice. It's a calling. It's a privilege, and it is hope. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. This is the verses about salt and light, and this is not just written for this first century crowd. I mean, the first century crowd had a ton of disparate people in it. You would have some Jews and some Greeks, some rich, some poor, some soldiers, some farmers, some some peasants, some religious people, some people with no religion at all. And and Jesus says these things to them, but it's also said and written to us as well today. And, And though we today are completely different from each other, we speak differently, we see the world differently, but when we surrender our lives to Jesus, when we come under his rule and reign, what Jesus says to us, Matthew 5, 13, is you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so what the Sermon on the Mountain does is it shows you that we live in a world who all of its values are upside down. And Jesus shows you what it's like to live in a world that's right side up because everything else just seems skewed and crooked all the time. And to be a disciple of Jesus, part of that is understanding that the reign of God is breaking into this realm here and now through his people. In our generation today, you and I get to live in that kingdom right here and now, and that makes us salt and light in this world. And when Jesus talks about the blessedness throughout all of the Beatitudes, this is one people group with all these different characteristics coming together. This is why we took four months to actually walk through just the Beatitudes. And these blessings that Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes, they're summary profile. It's like a visual aid. It's like a keynote on a screen. If you hate computers, it's like one of those old flannel graphs. One of those kind of things. And what it does is it shows us what kingdom life is like. Matthew 5, 3, Jesus says, Bless the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word blessed, it means fortunate. I mean, really, it sounds like fortunate are those who are so desperate that they must rely on God alone. Fortunate when you are in that place and you understand that. Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Fortunate are those whose hearts are so completely broken over their sin and loss, because God himself comes along and God carries their load. In verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Fortunate are those who are gentle and humble and lowly enough that they understand that the kingdom of God belongs to nobody's. That's who it belongs to. It's received by grace. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Fortunate are those who have a deep longing and a deep appetite for God's true justice, that God's rightness would be given to us and be made ours. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Fortunate are those who end up in a place when they understand this, that they find it easy to forgive others as they understand that God has forgiven us. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Fortunate are those who will God's will alone, who wants what God wants, who sees the world the way that God actually sees it. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Fortunate are those who make themselves instruments of peace among conflicts. They will be seen as God's children. Verses 10 through 12, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Fortunate are those who are persecuted because they put Jesus above everything else in their lives. 
fortunate are those when you follow Jesus. And even not everybody gets it or understands it or even likes you because you follow him first. Those who live in the kingdom of God become salt and light to the world. It all fits together. Even the verses after salt and light actually fit together. We'll look at this more next week, but Matthew 5, 17, Jesus goes on to say, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And this is important, because why does it go blessing? All the Beatitudes, salt and light, then don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. What is it about Beatitude, salt and light, that would lead people to think, because he says, don't think, knowing they're already thinking, that's how that works, don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Why do they think that? Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples and a crowd around them, but his main focus is those disciples. So he's probably teaching them and the crowd at the same time, but he's focused on them. So the question becomes, who are the disciples? What were they like? Will that give us any insight why he goes on and says these things? And it actually does. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. What I'll do, so I'm going to give you some random glimpses of the kind of people the disciples were. And then show how that looks kind of like us, and then see why he says these things. Uh, Matthew 15, actually starting Matthew 13, I'll turn there. Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the parable of the sower. He goes into all these different parables. When he hits Matthew 15, he talks about what defiles a person. Uh, what kind of pulls them away. And in Matthew 15, 15, it says, But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. You know, I don't get it. It's been a couple chapters later now, and I'm still wondering what it actually means. And he, Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Now, other renditions will translate this as, Are you still so dull? That could be my life verse. I feel like I am dull all the time. So what were the disciples like? They were dull. They were slow. They're just like us. Have you ever found yourself not getting it? Have you ever read something in the scriptures and been like, what in the world does that even mean? So you go pick up a commentary, and you read the commentary, and you're like, what in the world does that even mean? Right? Have you ever been like that? That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what the disciples were like. They're a bit slow at times, just like us. Open to Mark chapter 9. In Mark 9, Jesus and his disciples are walking. He doesn't want anybody to know really where they are because he wants to spend some time just teaching them. At different times during his ministry, he does that. He just takes some time and teaches his disciples. And so he says, not to the crowds, but to his disciples and also to us, because he wrote this down for us to understand. Mark 9, 31 to 34, says he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. So Jesus is becoming more and more popular at this point, and he tries to get them to see where this is going, what it's going to end at. It's going to end at his death. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing along the way? Now, so Jesus says these things, and they don't get it, so they start to have another conversation that Jesus knows about. He's just asking to point it out. But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Really? Really? The context is Jesus teaching them about his sacrifice, serving the world, giving himself away, his body broken, his blood poured out. That's going to be for the healing of the world. It's going to be painful. And on this walk, while he's explaining this, they are arguing with one another about who is going to be the greatest among them. What are the disciples like? They're just like us. They really are. We are all focused on ourselves. You and your buddies do this all the time. You put each other down because you want to be greater than they are. Oh, you're an idiot because of da-da-da-da-da. And you make fun of each other. We're just like that. We may not use those exact same words, I'm greater than you, but inside we're thinking it. I'm better than you because I'm not an idiot like you just did this thing over there. I wear shoes to church. You don't. What's wrong with you? You know, that kind of thing. 
we are a people who are supposed to partner with Jesus in the renewing and proclamation of his name and his greatness. It is his hope and his healing. We are to be salt and light. So have any of you ever gotten tripped up by your own ego? Ever. That's what the disciples are like. You ever have a little bit of pride and you're like, ah, you ever get cut off in traffic? There you go. You ever had someone say or do something to you that totally offended and hurt you and you just hold that deep inside? That's the idea. They offended and hurt you. You want them to be crucified so that, oh, you're crucified, now I feel better. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. That's who Jesus is talking about when he's teaching his disciples. I am so glad none of us are like that, by the way. All right, open to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, you see some details about the type of women who helped Jesus, who followed him, and even actually paid some of his bills. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 2. I'm going to use you as my guide. I'm just going to watch you. Maybe not. Okay. No. I'm trying to be nice. Okay. Luke 8, 2. says, And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits uh, and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Okay. Now, it's got to stop right there. So, anybody here have a past you'd like to forget? Maybe something that's just so horrible, it's like, man, I don't even want to think about that anymore. Well, that's, that's Mary right there. You know, she has this horrible past. She has a terrible history, like a haunting in Connecticut, you know, the, the exorcist part Mary, you know, where the, her head spins around, green goo comes out, you know, that kind of thing. And the writers don't tell you that in a derogatory way, but he tells you Mary was one with the past, but she is now salt and light. She's now following Jesus. Go one chapter over, Luke 9, verse 49. You know, what type of people were the disciples? Those who had a past. Luke 9, 49 to 50. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. Now, we can all agree the less demons the better, right? Like if I got up here and I said, there's no air in here. Right? You'd be like, ah! <laughs> Got to do something about that. It's actually we can all buy in our lives the less demons the better. Okay, we're all agreed. That's good. We saw someone casting out demons in your name. So this person follows Jesus, calls on his name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. That literally translates as, but he is not one of us. He's not wearing our jersey. He doesn't follow you around everywhere you go, Jesus, so he can't be on our team. He doesn't have the big J on the back with the number whatever, 13, because we've got 12 of us, we need one more. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. The disciples have this team, they're on it. That guy's not on our team. What do we do? They create boxes, and they want people to fit in their own box. So going on verse 52, and he sent messengers ahead of him, and went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. That means he wasn't going to stop there, he was going to stay there, and then go on to Jerusalem. But the Samaritans hate Jerusalem, Jerusalem's hate the Samaritans, and so it's like, don't go there, you're not going to go there, well, we don't want you here. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, these two guys have been with Jesus. As Jesus talks about his mission, his love, his grace, his hope, his truth, his forgiveness, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus said, sure. No, no, no. But he turned and rebuked them. I think, again, he called them dull. I think that's what he did. I can just assume it's happening. I mean, they have this passion. This deal. Jesus, we love you. We want to follow you. We want to show the world your love by blasting them off the face of the earth. How's that sound? That sounds great. What were the disciples like? Exclusive. They were just like us. You know, oh, you don't vote the way I do? Oh, what's wrong with you? You can't really follow Jesus. I mean, seriously. That's, well, they're a lot like us. Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is much later, after the resurrection. 
you know, you see in the gospel accounts and throughout the scriptures, you'll see uh, accounts by people who were with Jesus, and then you have some accounts by people who were with people who were with Jesus, Luke, is one of those guys. And when we tell stories about our past, we like to sugarcoat it. We like to make ourselves look better than we are. It's like, oh, you know what? I used to yell at my wife and kids, but not so much anymore, even though I just did on the way down here. Uh, I, you know, I'd like to be better and wear shoes to church, but I used to not, and now, oh, I guess I still don't. You know, we, we also want to make ourselves just to look a little bit better than we actually are. We're always trying to sugarcoat our lives. Now, if there's rivalry among the disciples, you can really see some of them writing, like Matthew, like, oh, John's going to be really stupid. John was an idiot because John wanted to call down fire from heaven. You know, these kind of dumb things. But they don't do that. What they are is they're completely honest about themselves and each other. And after understanding the truth in Jesus' call... Acts 4.13, this is what it says about them. It's amazing. Now, when they, the people around them, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, that's their reputations. They are unschooled, ordinary, impetuous, ego-problem people. How about you? Is that like you? It's a lot like me. When I read these of this, of these people who remind me so much of myself, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let me show you some distinctions in this. Okay, there's a difference between from and of. Okay, from and of. It doesn't say salt from the earth. He says, you know, which is you are lowly and despicable. He says you're the salt of the earth. Now, the word world and the word earth, they are global terms. So Jesus starts to speak about our mission. And how does Jesus want to change the world? Through grumpy, self-centered people with questionable past. They're impatient. They're ordinary. They're unschooled. The message of the Beatitudes starts with the central idea of Poor in spirit, the losers. That's who it starts with. And it comes down to you, that's how I'm going to change the world. It really is simply amazing. There's a difference between should be and are. He doesn't say you should be the salt of the earth. He says you are the salt of the earth. You know, he, he doesn't say, you know, you're not yet, so I'm going to give you some laws. Once you do these, you'll be the salt. Jesus doesn't announce what they're not. He doesn't announce what they should be. He doesn't drop guilt on them. He gives them a declaration of who they are in him when they follow him. And, and this is the idea. Christianity is not about all the things you must do so that God will bless you and love you. It's about your identity in the person of Jesus Christ. It's that you already have been blessed and he calls you into something greater. And people who misunderstand the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and all this, they bring a lot of religious voices of guilt and shame, all telling you what you are not. But Jesus wants his people to first and foremost know who you are. This is who you are. You are salt and light. That's who you are. I have blessed you. I, this is the people who live in the kingdom of God. This is you. He doesn't say if you are more moral or more holy or more righteous or read your Bible more, then you could be salt and light. He tells them what they are right now, where they're at, and then he shows them their mission and their calling. It's a drawing to where he is. That means today in your workplace, wherever it is, in your school or home or neighborhood, Jesus doesn't say, oh, I could really use you if you would just A, B, and C. He does reminds us well, we, that we already are being used. We already, people already are watching you. Your family already is looking at you. And Jesus brings that announcement. And thirdly, there's a difference between them and you. He doesn't say, you know, all those other people who are really smart or sophisticated, those who know what fork to use, uh, those who don't slurp their soup, those who know how to use a roundabout. You pull in the right lane, you go right. You pull in the left. You go around, you exit the left, so the guy wanting to go right, and the other one can just pull right and keep going. Roundabout. Traffic shouldn't stop in a roundabout. That's all I'm saying. Okay. We're getting more of them, people. Figure out how to use them, all right? 
Salt and light, salt and light. Now, if you're part of the religious establishment and you're hearing this thing and Jesus is talking about this, you see these crowds of thousands of people listening to him and he's announcing all these blessings of God to the zeros, the losers, the nobodies. At what point do you get a little nervous? Do you start to sweat under your religious collar and say, wait a minute, those people haven't been to Bible college or seminary. You can't tell them stuff like this. They're not going to understand. You can't change the world with people like that. And Jesus says, I know your past. I know who you are. I know who you've been. I know what you can be. I know what you aren't good at. I know what you don't know. But you are my plan. See, if you're in the crowd, you're thinking, wow, Jesus, he is amazing. Look at the stuff he's doing. Look at where he's going. Um, Let's follow him and see how he's going to change the world. That'll be amazing. And Jesus stops and looks at you and he says, you're my plan. And you go, great, got it. The pastor at my church is your plan. No. You guys are just dead. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Dull. Are you still so dull? (laughs) I'll bring him to church. He'll tell him about you. Got it. She's like, no. You are salt and light. You are. You're going to spread my message. And the people in the crowd have got to be thinking, wait, you don't really think that ordinary, average, flawed, impatient people can change the world. You need that establishment and those leaders and those train your feet arguments. This is why Jesus follows this up by, don't think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. He says, don't think I've come to lower God's standards, which is what the church today is all about. What's the little amount I can believe next to get into heaven? Heaven's for real. How do I get there? My fire insurance. You know, I've got to figure it out. What's the least I can believe? That's never, Jesus never preached a message like that. Here's the least you have to believe to get into heaven. That's never a message he preaches. Ever. Ever. He says, I'm not abolishing. I am fulfilling. This is what God has been up to all along. Taking ordinary people, empowering them with the gospel to change the world around them. Jesus anticipates all of his critics. You think I'm lowering the bar. No, I am showing you what the bar always has been. What it means to live as salt and light. What we are supposed to be. And that is the core of Jesus' message. That God will transform the earth. I mean, through the power of the gospel through ordinary people. It's really hard to fully grasp that because we have been so conditioned year after year, century after century by religious people that you and I are not the kind of metal that God could use to carry out his plan. And I wonder for those, you know, who heard Jesus, how many were scared to death of that call? I mean, do you understand? It's not my job to lead your friends to Jesus. It's your job. It's not my job to lead your children to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's your job in your home. That's, I mean, that's, that could be scary. Oh, crap, I better get cracking, better read that Bible. Yeah, that would help, you know, get going with it. I mean, it's it's scary, it's scary. I mean, maybe some people are flabbergasted and they're they're disbelieving. But I also wonder, how many people are apprehensively excited about it? Really? God really wants to use me? God's calling me to be salt and light? Yes, he is. That is the idea that God can use anyone in any circumstance to bring salt and light. Now, today, we have a whole backlash against salt, right? Doctors say, cut back on salt. But salt enriches everything it touches. It's amazing. I mean, anyone ever get hungry just thinking about salt? Sometimes I wish I was born a horse so I get a salt look and just lick it all day long. It'd be amazing. Salt makes anything better. I mean, you would never eat sunflower seeds or pumpkin seeds without salt. You're not a goat. I mean, nobody would eat, like, thin strips of styrofoam. But yet you throw salt on it and call it top ramen and college kids live on it. (laughs) Salt's amazing. It makes everything taste good. This is the idea. God wants us to bring the flavor. I mean, we're like styrofoam. 
And God's like salt, and all of a sudden we just, we're tasty and we're good. That is the enrichment, the preservation that salt is. There is something amazing about people when they're connected to Jesus as their Savior. When we get involved in other people's lives, when we have the strength and grace that Jesus had. If you, I don't know if you've ever met a Christian who really loves Jesus and sold out to him. And wherever they go, whatever they do, they bring light to any situation. I don't know if you, you've ever been in a situation or an argument or a conversation, and somebody walks in the room and you're like, oh, thank God they're here. And your whole spirit just gets lighter because they are there. Don Davis, uh, again, he calls this getting your gleam on. Now, again, he's a great African-American preacher, and so I, I'm just a skinny white boy. I can't do as good as he is. But he says, God wants us to get our gleam on right where we are. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful statement. That's the great imitation of God to every generation. This is the idea. When you follow Jesus, you have eternal life. You are never going to die. Ever. You are never going to die. And so God's only plan to your neighbors, your family, your co-workers, the checkout lady at the grocery store, that poor kid who has to take orders through a tiny little speaker. You know, God's plan to them is you, who you are in their midst. We are the living keynote. And I give you, hey, computers, you're like the living flannel graph. And people should be able to see us and say, oh, the kingdom of God is like that. That's how it is. And so it's how you portray God, how you want people to perceive the kingdom of God. If somebody lived with you for a couple weeks, what would they walk away thinking the kingdom of God is actually like? Because you are the kingdom of God with skin on. Would they be excited to live in this place called the kingdom of God because you live there? Or would they be like, man, I don't want to live there. So-and-so lives there. You know, what would it be like? Do you know Jesus in such a way that when someone sees you react to hardship and pain and difficulty that they see salt and light? That is not plastering a fake smile on your face. It could even be when you cry out in anger and pain and distress, do you cry out to Jesus? Or how about when things are good, when things go right? Who gets the credit? You know, oh, that was really good luck. Really? That's who gets the credit? Or does Jesus get the glory? When someone hurts you or scars you and, and hurts your soul, do you lash out, retreat inwards, become self-focused, can't see past your own hurt and pain? Or do you realize that Jesus Christ died for every sin at the cross? Do you, need, uh, want, do you need other people to be crucified so you feel better? Or do you understand that Jesus was crucified for them as well as you? Do you go to him with everything? When you're with your friends or you're alone at 1 p.m. On a, on a Tuesday night, could people still see your flavor and your gleam? Could people still see it? I'll quickly give you three things, then we'll end about being salt and light. Number one, it's about open hearts. It's about open hearts. Uh, if God wants to use us as salt and light, then we must open up our lives to live for God, to use wherever we are. We are people who, is, who are his vessels no matter where we are. Uh, when we live our lives, we embody who he is by tangible deeds so people can see and glorify the Father. Open heart to Jesus first and open heart to others is how we begin to live as salt and light. As we talked about all this morning, this is all true. But I will tell you, God will use you whether you're open to him or not. He will. I mean, you may be used kicking and screaming like Pharaoh in the Old Testament, or you can be used like Jesus, open to the Father's plan. You can be used like Abraham, who believes God's promise and wanders around for 20 years, you know, or you can be like the disciples who drop their nets on a word from him and follow Jesus as their rabbi. We need to be open to what God is doing and be interested in what he is doing. And when we are open, we can be used in so many more ways than when we fight him. I mean, do we even come to services like this expecting God to speak to us? Not just through the message, but through the music and fellowship and prayer and communion. Second Peter 2.9 reminds us, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
You are a priest. No matter where you go, no matter what you're doing, wherever you are, you are salt and light. And for some reason, as Christians, we want to fight this all the time. We want to fight this. But God doesn't want want to send anyone else to do the work that you're supposed to do. It's why you are where you are. You know, if you've got problems in your family, God wants you to be salt and light in your family right now, right where you are. He wants you to bring that flavor. You are the person God's going to use. So you show them what the kingdom is like in the flesh. The gospel, your friends and neighbors see is you. I mean, you could be, you know, a rehabilitated drug slinging tattoo artist. You could be a skinny white boy like me, you know. You could be a welder, a farmer, a housewife, a web designer, a hairdresser, a real estate agent, a paralegal, a forklift salesman. These are all people I know that go to Element, by the way. You know, a student, a teacher, a nurse, uh, somebody who changes oil at Jiffy Lube. You know, in all those places, God can and will use you. God makes you the message. I mean, we get tired, we get distracted, we get fatigued, but we are here. And we may not think we are much, but we are here, and we are not the ones who determines how we are used. He is the Lord, and he determines, and he will make it all beautiful. Secondly, it's about open hands. We bring salt and light, and we become open and available to others. Uh, our society today is an acquisition society. You know, we measure by life by how many shiny things that we own and what we can show everybody else our shiny things are like. This is our worth. This is our identity. But the scripture teaches that when our hearts are open, our hands become open, and that is generosity and it's hospitality. I mean, for me personally, if I had my choice and we were going to hire somebody at Element, I mean, I'd hire someone with a fourth grade education who is sold out to Jesus, who reads the scriptures because they love him and loves theology because they love him and want to grow in that way than some overeducated intellectual who won't live what they already know to be true, that they're supposed to be salt and light. I mean, some people get so educated and all they think about is up here. They don't live it out. We are called to live out the gospel. And generosity has more to do you know, with your disposition than with your worth. And poor people can be generous and live with open hands. Rich people can give away millions of dollars and still live with closed hands. Do you think Jesus cares how much stuff you own? Not at all. Not at all. And so we, you know, when we gather, we, we talk about how giving is part of our worship. Elements distributes to things around the world and things in our city. If you want to know what that list is, talk to us. We'll tell you all the things that Element gives to. And there may be different things you can actually be a part of and help out of. But that's part of being salt and light. And thirdly, it's about open mouths. So when you open up your hearts, you open up your hands, we finally have the right to open up our mouths and speak about Jesus. I mean, some people sometimes may not know why in the world you are doing what you're doing. And you get to talk about Jesus. I mean, just a couple months ago, I was over in a parking lot, and I was putting stuff in my car, and there's this uh, older lady across from me, and Santa Maria, it's windy, right? So she's trying to get her car, and, just, and, she, and she can't get it, all this stuff. So I go running over to help her. And her first thought is, you're going to steal my stuff. I'm like, lady, look, I'm built like a junior high girl. You can beat me up, okay? So <laughs> take the help, all right? So I finally get her stuff in her car, and she looks at me, and she goes, hey, are you in the military? Because, you know, I, my hair is pretty short. And I go... No. She goes, why are you doing this? And I said, because I love Jesus and Jesus loves you. And she goes. Are you going to give me the other testament of Jesus Christ? You know, is that what you're going to do? You know, no, I'm not going to buy you the watchtower lady. I just want you to know Jesus loves you. You know, <laughs> guys, it is okay to talk about Jesus. It's okay to talk about his crucifixion and his resurrection, what he has done in and through you, what he continues to do in and through you. We should be excited about that. I mean, I love my wife. I tell you about her all the time. I, I think she's amazing. But I talk to you much more about Jesus because how much more amazing is my God? I mean, I love Jesus more than I love my wife. And because I love him like that, I can love my wife the way that I do. But he comes first. You know, I, I, I was talking to, to somebody a, a little bit ago. 
not, not one of you guys, or someone doesn't go to church, they're not a believer, but uh, we were in this parking lot talking about, I think it was like a, at a softball field or something, and, and at the end of our conversation, he goes, hey, have, have you seen my truck? I'm like, did you lose it? He's like, no, no, it's really cool. So I walk over to his truck, and he's like, oh. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, these are my rims. They're just big, and this is my billet gas cap, and these are my fuzzy dice. I'm like, oh, you know. And, but as I'm sitting there talking to him, I'm just thinking, my goodness, imagine this. Imagine if Christians were that excited about Jesus. I mean, seriously. If we get excited about this stupid, did you see my new iPhone? Look at it. It does all this. Oh, it died. What happened? I don't know. You know, if we, if we got excited about Jesus the way we get excited about everything else, I think the world would begin to change. I mean, what do you get so excited about? I mean, think about the redemption that has found you and saved you and the grace that Jesus gives you. I am convinced if we just opened up our mouths, simply right where we are, our hearts and our hands would, and opened those up, we'd become vessels in our communities. We'd be salt and light. And I think the world be, would begin to change because we'd begin to actually live for the one who is alive. I mean, guys, oh, what are you excited about? Be excited about Jesus. Because he is amazing. He, he has saved us. He has not left us in a place of pity or despair. He has reached out to us in our circumstance, lifted us out of the pit of where we are, and called us into something greater. Redemption has found us. Grace has been given to us. And we get to be a people who are excited about and live that grace. This is one of the reasons we point you guys to communion every single week. It's communion is a place where you break that cracker and reminds us of Christ's body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. Remind us of his blood that was shed for you and I. We do this in remembrance of him, of his calling, of his grace, of his goodness. That he is the one who has saved us. That he is the God who is good. That he is the God who has done these things. And then we live as salt and light in the world, proclaiming the goodness and the wonder of what he's done. How excited should we be about that? Got it. You don't have to make it awkward. It's not like, hey, uh, did you watch the UFC fight last night? Great. You hear about Jesus? I mean, that's just weird. You don't do that. But if you're excited about Jesus, it should come up in conversation at some point. Oh, you're going through a lot of stuff? Well, let me pray for you. Why would you pray for me? Because I love Jesus, and I think he makes a difference in people's lives. Oh. When When I have offered to pray for people, I have never once had someone say, no, thanks. Even atheists say, okay. Couldn't hurt, you know. It couldn't, you know. And that's the idea. We are salt and light wherever we are. You know, I'll quit rambling. Van's going to come up, okay? Van will come up, do a couple songs. As they do, we invite you to take communion. There's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need some prayer about anything, I mean, maybe you're in a place where uh, you want to be salt and light and you haven't understood what it really means and you want to be. They would love to talk to you and pray with you about that. Uh, maybe you're in a place where you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Uh, today, there's no better day than today to do that. You know, follow him, surrender your life to him, become salt and light. You know, it's, it's about how we live outside. We come together in here and we talk about Jesus. It's all nice and safe. You know, everybody, most people in here believe in Jesus. I'm okay with that. I'm good. Yes, I can be safe. It, Walk outside these walls and live it. I mean, that's where it's supposed to be. That's where you're to be salt and light. I mean, this room is so full of flavor, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you take some of that out there. Seriously. Uh, there's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. You have that opportunity every single week. We don't pass a plate. It's a response to what he has done. Uh, and there's some amazing cupcakes in the back. I took three and put them in the fridge. It's tasty. 
I'm like, well, it's like salt and light. Mm, so good. Um, but you can grab something to eat. And we don't do that just to feed you sugar and send your kids out going crazy on the way home. We, we do that so you guys can grab something to eat. You can meet some other people. Maybe invite somebody out to lunch uh, over for dinner this week. Talk about some of the questions on the back of the sermon notes about being salt and light and being what are you excited about. And, and have those conversations with your family or with your friends. And begin to actually flesh this out a little bit more. Have your friends come alongside you and, and help hold you to that excitement about who Jesus is. And, well, you know what? When we're really excited about it and people wonder what it is, well, let's tell them about Jesus. It's not awkward sometimes you know we, we can do that we can really talk about him in a way that doesn't make us seem like weirdos all right because jesus doesn't say you know you're going to be weirdos to the world he says you're going to be salt and light that means we bring flavor you know we bring preservation we bring hope because he has first given it to us and so we in response live that out with our lives because our god is simply so good to us why don't you guys pray with me Part of this morning, I ask that we would be those who understand what it means to live as salt and light. Uh, that we would understand that uh, the flavor that you have first given to us, the light that burns deep in our souls, that you bringing us back to life causes to burn, and we simply illuminate your first illumination in us. That the tastiness that we have in our lives is supposed to become first from you, because you have first given us flavor. So teach us to be a people that learn to live the salt and light to the world around us. A people who bring glory and honor to your name. By how we live. By how we interact with those around us. By, more importantly, how we worship you in the midst of that. Because how we treat the people around us. How we love others. Is worship of you. Have us understand that. Have us hear you, not just in the words of the message, but in the conversations with our friends. In the food that we eat, in the joy that we partake of during the day, in the songs that we sing. Have us remember it is all worship. And our response would be to become salt and light. So the world may know how good our great God is. How awesome our Savior is to save such a people as us who quite honestly don't deserve it. But you are a God who blesses the undeserving, who saves those who have no hope, who brings reconciliation and redemption to those who don't even understand what those words mean because you are good. So burn within us a passion for your name that eclipses everything else, so we live a solid light. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.